welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. everybody. <laughs> Greetings from C3 Victory. We've just finished, one of our campuses just finished one and then our another campus is just starting and uh, we just are so glad to be here. Um, just really quickly, uh, I just want to honour uh, fathers, I want to honour my, my husband who's no, been amazing. No, right. but I want to honour the fathers and as I was sitting down there and just praying about it. I just really sense the Spirit of God to say, don't give up. That fathers, you're so important. That um, you're, what you, you give of your stability, you could easily walk, but you don't. You stay. And I just want to encourage you. And it just this word kept us saying, don't give up. Don't awesome. give up. I, I don't awesome. believe if there's someone in here that is struggling about wanting to give up. But, um, you know, I'm going to be personal. My, our son um, went through uh, a divorce, and he was just crushed. And, and, um, and I, we were just quite devastated about it as well. And uh, anyway, we talked to someone who um, was a professional psychiatrist, and, um, and I said, are my grandkids going to be okay? And, um, and, and she said that, you know, they, they had found that, hus- that fathers that stay, that are connect with their kids, that their, their um, children are a lot stronger. And it's not as hard in their adjustment. And our son has just stayed when it would have been easy to, to, um, to leave the city. But he has stayed, and his kids, um, our eldest granddaughter, she's, she's turning 12, and they're really going strong. They're going strong in the Lord. And it's because God's blessing, but because my, our son decided is that he was going to be in just commute, con, connecting with his kids constantly. And, um, and so if that encourages you, awesome. Just don't give up. You're yeah. too important for your kids. You're too important for the kingdom. Good. You're too important for your adult kids too, who need you just as much. Um, and I just want to honor Pastor Chris. Thank you so much for having us. And the actually, dad of the, house. the dad of the house, father of the house. And we have a little gift for you. Yeah. Little birdies. Yeah, some of it you can share yes. with Pastor Yes, little birdies. Bruce. Little birdies told, told us, us that you likes. enjoy some of your likes. And Keith. Don't like open it. it while you're in the service no. now. Okay. But a couple of things was he likes chocolate and he likes licorice. And, and um, so there's a few little goodies about motorbikes and stuff like that. So we just want to honor you and thank you oh. that you are so his much eyes, eyes for your family you and family in the faith. So. Very good. Thanks, honey. Awesome. Hey, you guys are real champions. It's a privilege and a treat for Janet and I to be here with you today on Father's Day. Um, Thanks to pastors Chris and Ruth for having us. We're honored to celebrate this day with you. Even though we're away from our kids and our campuses, it's still a treat to be here, and uh, we thank you for that. And I made Pastor Chris a promise I'd behave today. No redneck jokes. 
I'll give you another one later, but it's not a joke. But pastors uh, Chris and Ruth came and spoke to our marriage retreat last month, and they were incredible. These guys have a touch on their lives for this and a real gift for that. So we want to thank you for releasing them. Our guys loved them, fell in love with them. And I thought, man, you made me look bad. You know, you really made me look bad. So I hope I make you look bad today. No, no. I wish you all the best on Father's Day, which is good. So, hey, we love the building. Looks awesome. Looks great, doesn't it? Well done. We, uh, I think since we've been here last year, we bought a building and, uh, because we're spread out all over the city with different things. And instead of buying a church building, we, we bought a center. We were already renting the upstairs. It's right next to Charlestown Square, you know, the biggest mall around. And it used to be the Westpac Bank. And so we, we were upstairs with our offices and youth and things like that. So what we did, we, we bought the whole building, paid cash for it, don't owe, don't owe a thing on it. I won't tell you how much it... <gasps> You take a deep breath when you do, but we paid for it. It's all paid for and done. And the whole downstairs now is set up to interface with community, to deal with things like suicide, depression, homelessness, and all that stuff. And so we're, we're kind of trying to turn it into uh, a seven-day-a-week center where people can interface. We've, we've actually got Lifeline now contacted us and said, we want to come do a training course in your building for your people for suicide prevention, and we'll pay for the whole thing which is awesome. So, and we have other things like a women's shelter who hold things there and all kind of things. So that's awesome. And uh, so you guys have done well. This is incredible. And uh, I love the fact that it's Father's Day. So I said I'd be nice and this is nice. This is not naughty, Chris. This is not bad. But guys, have you ever noticed that your wife asks more questions than you have answers? There you go. There's an admission that shows how dumb we really are. Yeah, because they want us to answer them all. Like, for instance, you know, this guy gets, he gets a mo- on his mobile phone, he gets a message, pray for Mark. He's been in a car accident. So he comes into his wife, honey, we've just been asked to pray for Mark. He's been in a car accident. And she says, did he have insurance? I don't know. All I know is I got a text message saying Mark was in an accident, pray for him. Was anybody else in the car with him? I don't know. I just got a text message said that Mark was in an accident, pray for him. Were the people in the other car hurt? I don't know. All I know is I got a text message that said, pray for Mark. He was in a car accident. Well, what do you know? You're dumb. You don't know anything. All I know is I got a text message that said, pray for Mark. (laughs) Does Ruth do that to you? I mean, even this morning, Janet saying, did this and this and this and this happen? I don't know. All I know is, see how dumb we are? Yeah, we play dumb, don't we? But I said I'd behave, so no redneck jokes. That's all right, you know. Uh, hey, being Father's Day, I, I kind of want, ooh, let me start this. There we go. I, I want to finish, do well, so you guys can go to lunch. Um, being Father's Day, I want to pick up the theme belonging to the Father's house, which is a very special theme to me. I, I had the unfortunate upbringing of living in a home where the Father wasn't present. I remember Dad walking out when I was 10 years old. We weren't Christians. We had no church background, didn't own Bibles, didn't go to church. Even though we were in the proverbial Bible belt of America, we were in the buckle of the Bible belt. And uh, you could walk out the front door and spit in any direction and hit a Baptist church. <laughs> or, I said I'd be nice. That's nice, isn't it? Or as they say in Alabama, I'm a Baptist boy. What are you? I don't dance and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. You know, that's, there's Baptists everywhere. I think even the dogs are Baptists. Anyway. <laughs> We were nothing, absolutely nothing. And you can imagine the shock and the horror. Dad, you know, he was a detective, so there are often times he just didn't come home at night. We thought he was at work. 
Uh, one night he didn't come home. The next day we get called in. We were out in the neighborhood with our friends and we get called in. Dad and mom are sitting there. They've been crying. And mom just says, tell him, me and my two brothers, just tell him. And he just said, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. And I can remember that day hanging on to his jacket and begging. I'm a 10-year-old. Just begging him, don't go, along with my brothers. And so for the next number of years, we grew up in a single mom's home. And, and where we lived, there was no pension for that kind of stuff. And, and we watched our mother. She became, we became latchkey kids, and she became a go-to-school-in-the-day-and-work-at-night single mom. And that was our lifestyle. And, and you know, um, I didn't have this role model, this understanding, this experience of what it means to have a father who is my role model, my hero, my closest friend. That was all gone. My son, to this day, he FaceTimed me this morning. He's 36. FaceTimed us from C3 Mackay. As Janet said, his marriage fell apart a number of years ago. Devastating to all of us who've been through things like that. His life is now rebuilt. He's on the team up at C3 Mackay and, and things like that. And my son will say, Dad, you're my best mate. You know, and to me, that is probably the greatest thing somebody could say to me in life. I, I can raise all these church leaders, and as a matter of fact, at Victory in June, at our, at our Vision Month, we've now transitioned our church where we have lead pastors, and Janet and I do nothing. Um, isn't that what lead pastor's about? You find that they tell us, work your way out of a job. I just don't want to work my way out of a salary, you know. <laughs> Too young to retire. Uh, we're not grey nomads, never want to be, never want to be, never will be. And uh, I'm, I apologise if you like that, but that's just not us. Um, and so we now have these, this young couple in our, fir- in our first D group, not connect group, but a D group, disciple them. They're in their early 30s, and they are now the lead pastors over all of Victory, make everything happen. We have other campus pastors. And, and while that's all great, and we look at the people we've sent and the churches we planted, my greatest claim to fame and legacy is when my son says, you're my hero. You know, that means more to me than anything else. And over the years that we've been visiting your church, I was sitting there racking my brain, Chris. I think it's about five years we've been kind of connected with you guys as overseers, a couple of times in the school. I think this is our third time here. And congratulations on your 25th anniversary. That's a great milestone. Hey, come on, give yourself a hand. I think it's incredible. Um, most, uh, most pastors don't stick around that long. We're, we're in our 24th year at Victory, so... But over the years that we've been visiting uh, your church and hanging out with you guys, I've watched Pastor Chris relate to his, his kids. And, and I hear the stuff that he does, even though he gets crippled now from playing rugby with them. Uh, it happens. It's called age, Chris. Uh, I remember the first time I was wrestling my son. I used to wrestle in high school. And, you know, he's a lot bigger than me now. He's a league player. And he got bigger, you know. And we're wrestling. He's about 16. And I, and I got him on his back in the lounge. And I remember he just bench pressed me and threw me across the room. And I thought, well, that's the end of wrestling, Jono. You know, it hurts, Chris. But I've been watching Pastor Chris relate to his kids. And I want to tell you, he is a great role model of fathering. There's no doubt about it. And, and I, w- I want to applaud you. And I want to encourage you to pass that on to as many as possible. Because there are a lot of kids who don't have a real dad. And if they do have a dad, a lot of them are absentee fathers. And so, you know, I, I want to applaud you on that, but encourage you to keep doing it. And to pass it on because not just you do it, but the young men that are watching you will pick that up. Your sons and your spiritual sons, which is awesome. And so the thing that I want to do is I want to pick up something that's been lost, misunderstood, probably even uh, misplaced when it comes to belonging. And it's called covenant. You notice Pastor Chris emphasized that when he did communion earlier. 
It's kind of an old-fashioned word. New King James says testament. I always thought testament was a book. It was a will and testament. Uh, but see, it's kind of an old-fashioned word, and, and we don't use it today. And, and yet God relates to us on the basis of this thing called covenant. That's how he relates to us. And if we don't understand it, we miss how God actually connects with us and relates to us. And so in order for us to get this today, two things need to happen. The first one is this. We must see. Now listen, this is not a blight on anybody. It's just the truth. We are baptized into the spirit of this age and this culture and it affects us more than we even know. We're swimming in a cesspool in some way. I know it's a horrible picture and we think we're in nice clear water. And it's not because the spirit of this age, listen, in the spirit of this age, relationships happen predominantly by contract. Listen to me. Even though it's not spoken, it's certainly expected. We, we had people say to us the other day, a Christian say this to us the other day. Well, I'm supposed to be happy in my marriage. Isn't that what marriage is all about? To be happy. And he doesn't make me happy anymore. And I don't make him happy. So we've agreed to separate. Did you know God is not committed to our happiness? He's committed to our wholeness. God isn't committed to making me happy. He's committed to making me complete. I'm not here to make Janet happy. That's a bonus if she's happy with some of the things I do. But I, I think I'd say on Dad's Day, I probably, there's a lot of things I do to make her more unhappy than happy. Um, like when I say, come on, you're late. We need to get going. We need to get moving. And she gets unhappy. I don't know why she gets unhappy. You know, it's like, Keith, we got two minutes. I'm going, I know, I want to be early. Let's go. You're late. That kind of thing. But you know what? I'm actually, I'm actually not married to her primarily to make her happy. That's a bonus. I'm married to her to make her complete. Because she's not complete without me and I'm not complete without her. God gave Eve to Adam not to make him happy, but to make him complete. He looked at him and said, something's missing. You need her. And so the deal is the world kind of, it, it kind of has this thing that's unspoken that says, I will relate to you as long as you make me happy and meet my needs, right? Okay, let me give you another example. We kind of hear this as pastors. They say, they say it in a very spiritual tone, but it's like this. We're looking for another church. We're not happy here anymore. So we're looking for one that has better groups and youth program and children's program. And what, in essence, they're saying is we're choosing like the world chooses, by goods and services. Mm -hmm. You know, Pastor Pete McHugh, great friend to here and to us, one of my close friends. He wrote in his book, Above the Line, I think we got this up on the, house, uh, up on the screen in the house. Uh, Christians in Western society live in a world that shouts to them to consume Loyalty to many businesses has been replaced by where can I get the best deal? So if another church is offering better goods and services, the need of the consumer will influence the decision as to which church they attend. That's contract. Pastor, as long as you do what I think you should be doing, I will stay here and be happy. So we've got to, you know, the, the first thing we've got to do is let, we, we've got to recognize, hey, we are more affected by the spirit of the age than we can imagine. But the second thing we must do is this, ask the Holy Spirit to reshape our, our understanding of relationships and belonging according to his word and his work, not according to the spirit of the age. So in other words, Romans 12, 2 tells us, don't be formed in your way of thinking by the pattern of this world. 
Be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world tell you its values and its ways on how to relate, and you accept that and buy into that. Whatever happened about not dating somebody until they're the one? I, I kind of grew up as a non-Christian. You date as many as you can before you find the one. <laughs> right? Try until you, you buy. That's the world's way. Like, get as many as possible. What happened to There's only one. You know, people kind of have made us believe that the only way to find the one is to go out with many. Who said that? Who said that? See how we're baptized into the way of the world. And so let's look at this thing called covenant. You, you might have heard it in a wedding. You might have come across it reading the Old Testament. You might have heard it mentioned in a sermon. You heard it mentioned at communion this morning. But covenant was initiated by God as the way he would relate to us as a covenant. And covenant is one of the major themes of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. It's in the New Testament? Yeah, we just read it. The New Covenant, the New Testament. And the old, you heard, the old covenant of the Mosaic law was actually fulfilled and replaced by the new covenant that Jesus made when he died on the cross. Here's a new one. And as you heard this morning, Hebrews said it's not only new, it's better, right? It's a better way of relating together. But, you know, you you go back and you go, "I, I remember when covenant was established with Abraham in the Old Testament. God did a weird thing. He says to Abraham, I want you to take three animals. I want you to cut them right down the middle. Put one on one side and one half on the other side. And, uh, and this is called a blood covenant. I've got American Indian in my heritage. I don't know how far back it goes. I wouldn't have this little beard if I was full Indian. And they used to take a knife and they'd cut the hand. And then they'd shake hands with another guy that does the same mixing blood saying, if you break this or I break this, you can do to me what I just did to my hand with that knife. And this is what God said to Abraham. He said, look, here's what we're going to do. Um, We're going to make this covenant and it's going to be sealed in blood. Kill the animals, shed the blood, one on each side. And what would happen is both parties would walk down the middle of the aisle between the two animals saying, if I break the terms of this covenant, may it be done to me what has been done to these animals. Except when it came to that point, God stopped Abraham and said, be still. And God himself walked through the slain animals and in the middle of the blood, in essence saying, I will meet the criteria of this covenant. I will fulfill this covenant for you, Abraham, and sealed it with blood. And we know that the cross is, is the ultimate blood covenant, right? where God himself allowed his own son to be cut and to be crucified and himself to say, I will meet the terms that seals this relationship once and for all. That's covenant. Got it? So Jesus not only fulfilled the requirements of the old, he started a new covenant, which is far better. So as Christians, here's the first point. We are people of a new covenant. We're not just a community. We are a community that's in covenant. Where Jesus said, I establish this by my blood and I meet the criteria for this. A new covenant has taken place and God himself met the responsibilities of that agreement. Now, Pastor Chris made a comment this morning too that the most thing that we think about with covenant is contract. Listen, in in legal terms it is, but in relational terms it is not. Right? Right? Because in a contract, we both agree, nowadays we sign papers legally. And we're in a contract and you can't break it. 
But in a relationship, it's not about papers and it's not about signing something. It's about an agreement of relationship. And that's what this covenant is about, this new covenant. In essence, God sends his own son, sheds his blood. And in essence, God is saying the same thing he said to Abraham. I will make you into a great family who will bless the earth. Your part, as Abraham's was, is to have faith in me that I have established this and I will make this happen and I will keep this. Listen, when God said through these people, they will be a blessing to the peoples of the earth, that will last throughout the rest of time. It will not be broken. It cannot be ceased. It will never stop. God will always have a people in covenant whereby the earth is blessed, whereby Central Coast is blessed, right? And you are that people. But the deal is this, you know, thousands of years later, after Abraham on that fateful night, we read it earlier. Let's read it again. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Jesus took bread. He blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. And in this moment, Jesus announced a greater covenant between God and man. It's been made. It's being sealed. But this time, this covenant was born. Listen to me. Here's where it comes to. This covenant was born out of the heart of a father who loved those people. It wasn't a contract saying, you better do this. Real. This is why God himself met the terms of the covenant by sending his one and only son. And said, my son will be the ultimate sacrifice, the blood sacrifice to seal this covenant and it creates a relationship that cannot be broken, one that God himself will never violate. God will never leave you or else he's a liar. I know that's strong, but he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Never. What if I sin? He didn't say I'll leave you. If you. Listen, if God leaves us because we sin, he never would have come to us in the first place. He comes to us on the basis of sin that's been washed and forgiven, not on the basis that we have gotten over our sin and we're sinless. Now, here's the deal, guys, on Father's Day. You know, I'd never experienced a love like that from a father until I heard about the depth of love that God had for me. The Bible says, for God so loved. You can put your name in there. You could say it this way. The Father so loved you that he gave heaven's best. He sacrificed. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't let my son die for you. I know you're nice people, but I love him too much. He's my best mate. I don't know you that well. Not only that, you might offend me. You haven't yet, but if I stuck around long enough, I'm sure you would. And I'm sure I'd offend you, right? I'm not going to let my son die for you. Every one of us were offensive to God, but his love was greater than our offense. That's the Father's heart. It's not conditional. And I'd never experienced a love like this. It said, the Father in heaven loves you so much, he'll send his one and only son and I, you know, I, I, even though I had never experienced it, deep down in my soul, I wanted a love that was kind of like that. I wanted a hero. I wanted a dad who would love me unconditionally. I wanted a dad who would be there when I was wrestling for the city championship. You know, you know how horrible it is to win city championship. You're the best in your weight class for miles and miles. And all these other kids, their parents around them, dads around, yeah, congratulations, taking photos. Some of us will remember the old day with a little cube on the top as you snap, it turns and flashes. Anybody remember those? Right? Okay. No such thing as smartphones. They weren't even smart cameras. And, uh, 
And I'm standing there with my trophy, looking at all my mates with their dads all around them, taking photos. So proud of you, son. You're so great. I'm standing there by myself. So my best friend in high school, his dad felt sorry for me, Greek guy. You know how, you know how emotional the Greeks are? Just spray it with Windex. Yeah. Uh, he called me over and said, Keith, get in with George. Let's take your picture with George. I longed for the love of a father that was proud of me, but never found it like that. A love that would be sacrificial and say, you know what? I'll miss work so I could go to your championship. I'll have a sick day if I have to. I'll take a holiday if I have to. Because love means sacrifice. Okay? And there is no true covenant without love. And and I'll even propose this to you. There's no real love without sacrifice. The world today talks about equal love. There's no such thing. How can you be equal to God's love? That's real love. I mean, that's a sacrificial love that says, you know, this is what the new covenant is about. A covenant that loves you so much that even when you are offensive to me, I will send heaven's best to rescue out of that. And I will accept you as my son and as my daughter without conditions attached because I have shed blood and walked between that and you and said, come in. Man, that's a dad. That's a dad. I mean, I, my dad didn't even come to our wedding. He didn't come to my university graduation. He didn't come to my championships. Nothing. Now, there's a good side to the story. I was in the States back in 2014, I think it was. And I had some alone time. I visited my father for the first time since 1993. And we were alone. We we're in the car together traveling. And I, I asked him, proposed questions to him. And, and, you know, in that moment, God reconciled a relationship between us. You know, because God even cares for those who have made children fatherless. Anyway, let's move on. Love becomes the hallmark of this new covenant. It, 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 but it's not just the hallmark. Yeah, look, it's, what, a, what a covenant. It's the standard by which we relate to each other. Oh, no, no, we're missing this. We're not meant to relate to each other in the church like they do in clubs. There's a better club down the road, so we think we'll go there. There will always be a better club. There will always be somebody who has something better than you. It's not what is better. Listen, I want to tell you, there are better church members than you. Let's go out and get them. No, no, I'm kidding. They're better children than yours. Go get them. That's not the deal. It's not who or what is better. It's we are better together. Anyway, anyway, just saying. So a word to fathers today, your day, more than ever, our kids need the security of our love. You know, when, when my son's marriage was collapsing and I saw the pain that he went through because of how it collapsed and everything that happened, the thing that was so difficult for me was, God, not to one of my children. It happened to me, not to one of my children. And I could have easily blamed my son, even though it wasn't predominantly his fault. I could have blamed him and I could have cut him off and I could have said, how could you do that to me, Jono? I went through that as a kid. How can you make me go through that now as your dad? I didn't do that. Didn't mention that once because I love him no matter what happens. It's an unconditional love. He's my son and our sons, our daughters today, listen, means us to sacrifice for them. It means, oh, I hate to say this, can't take that motorcycle ride every weekend. Because <laughs> we need to give ourselves for our kids. There comes a point where you being at their sport is more important than your sport. 
There comes a time when we need to lay down our time and our ambitions and our hobbies to give our kids what they... And I found out it doesn't stop. I've got to now do it with my grandkids. But what they need, like if, if I don't show up to my grandson's soccer or my other grandson's karate uh, grading or something, and Janet goes, the first thing they say to Janet is not, hey, Gra- hey Grammy, it's good to see you here. They go, where's granddad? I do have a tattoo there that says granddad. Granddad means I'm bigger than dad. No, I don't. I don't. I'm just kidding. That's the first thing they say, isn't it? Where's granddad? We need to sacrifice today so they get our attention, our affirmation, and security. And listen, let me say this to you dads. There's a lot of people in our churches who have never experienced a love from a father like that. Just because they sit here and they look good doesn't mean that deep down inside they know that from a father. I've had so many men our age saying, you know, I never... My dad never told me he loved me. My dad never hugged me. My dad never came and said, well done. He just expected that I'd do everything he expected. There's a lot of people in our church who haven't naturally received the affirmation of a a dad. And like Pastor Chris, we can be that for them. Stop worrying about what you didn't get and start giving what you can. The great thing is you can receive it spiritually in the house of God, not just from God, but from dads who are here. There are a lot of young people that need a father to believe in them. So new, new covenant, but a new covenant leads to a new commandment. Not just about this covenant. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a covenant, that you, a commandment that says love one another as I've loved you. Because a new commandment brings about a new way of living. And to their surprise, listen, they're all sitting around. They're all sitting around. Here's the deal. They're all sitting around. They think Jesus is about to bring in this almighty kingdom that's going to oust the Romans and turn Israel into a God state and the kingdom's going to be there like it was under Saul and boom. And they're waiting. They're sitting there just waiting. And all of a sudden he goes, all right, I'm going to give you a commandment and it's new. Yeah, right. Give us the rules so we can make this thing happen. Jesus said, here it is. You love one another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, I'm going to give you a commandment that you, he said, a new commandment, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This is the same night as we read in Matthew. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you that you also love one another. By this, by this, by the way you relate in love, people are going to know you truly are my people my followers, if you have this kind of love. Now, I want you to remember the context for a minute. The context leading to this moment in the upper room was that they're pushing, they're vying for power to sit on his right and his left. I find it so humorous. Here's James and John. You know what, you know what their nickname is? Sons of Thunder. They're so tough that mama's got to come ask Jesus, can they sit on your right and left? What is that? <laughs> what brave men. Like, Psst, mom, would you? you know, we, we don't want to get offside with him, so would you? But if you understand their thinking in the Eastern culture of the day, to sit on the right and left meant to be the most prominent positions of power. So they're basically saying to the other ten, stuff you. We want to be first in the kingdom. And so Jesus just ignores that. Well, he actually doesn't ignore it. He says, well, the first will be last. And he serves supper, as we heard, talks about the cross, but then he does something so unexpected and so radical they're dumbfounded. The only thing that was said was dumb. That was Peter. But what he does, he gets up from the table after having communion, takes off his clothes, wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets down with a bowl and he washes the dirtiest part of their body, their feet. 
This job was usually given to the lowest slave in a household. Lowest. Imagine you're in the company of slaves. Your job today. They've been walking for miles and you ought to see the toe jam. That's your job today. And it's not toe jam of only dirt. They kind of were walking behind donkeys and camels. And you're washing them. You notice Jesus doesn't say, boys, get away from the table. I often wonder, you know, why do our mothers always tell us to wash our hands, not our feet, before we eat? Well, we got closed shoes. Our table's up high. In Jesus' day, the table was low. They had open shoes, and their feet are right there next to the table as they recline. Dirtiest part of their body is near the food. So you never would sit and eat until they were washed. And so all of a sudden, Jesus gets up, takes off his clothes, washes their feet. Something that they were just too important to do. And he says, I want you to do the same for each other. I want you to stoop that low to serve each other. I can remember in 1997, we were putting a kitchen in the house. And I remember the cabinet maker saying, look, do you want me to leave space for a dishwasher? We didn't have a dishwasher at that time. And I said, space, dishwasher? What do I need a dishwasher for? i got two of them. They're called kids. Now, I know, I know, not my brightest moment. I know, I got punished for that. So for the next 20 years, we had to have a kitchen without a dishwasher because the kids wouldn't and they moved out and I became the dishwasher. Anyway, dumbest moment, you know, stupid is as stupid does. But what it did point out to me was this, a flaw in my thinking. I wonder how many of us have it. And here was my thinking. My kids are here to serve me. They're the minions. They're the little ones. They should do all this stuff, not me. I provide it. You clean it. And, and, and it showed a wrong kind of thinking. You know the old saying, kids are here to be seen, not heard. That's not what Jesus said, remember? He, got, he gets down on a knee and his kids are climbing all over him. That was absolutely a no-no to a teacher in the day. You don't approach a teacher. You don't talk to him. You don't touch him. And they're all over Jesus. I can imagine he's laughing. He's having fun. And all of a sudden, the disciples want to rebuke the parents and rebuke the kids. And Jesus said, whoa, don't you dare do that. This is what the kingdom is like. And he wasn't saying the kingdom is childish. He was saying the kingdom is like many things. You've got to be childlike to get into it. But you're going to have fun once you do. And once you do get in there, you are not superior. You are one among equals. So I thought, eh, just keep the kids subservient. I know this might sound out of order, but dads, there are times when our kids need us to serve them. And listen, why is that any more out of order than it was for Jesus to serve his disciples that night? Why? Yeah, but I'm the dad. They're just the kids. That's right. They need you to serve them. Because love isn't just about sacrifice. Love is also about humility. In other words, we've got to be willing to stoop to serve one another. You go, yeah, but they're kids. What about the boundaries and the discipline? Listen, serving doesn't do away with boundaries and discipline. The, the very word discipline is connected to the word disciple. <gasps> That's brilliant, isn't it? You got to know Greek for that one. Not true. You don't have to know Greek. And our greatest achievement, listen, is that of making disciples, and it's best done out of humility. And, and again, to me, my greatest legacy comes when I make disciples out of my own children. When they become great followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I had to learn how to serve them and to be humble. 
That's the culture of the Father's house. I love what Pastor Phil said at our national conference a couple of years ago. Love is the culture of the Father's house. And dads, if we're going to love our kids, we have got this commandment, love one another. Yeah, well, I love them. I give them food. I give them a house. I got shelter. What else do the rat bags want? They want you and the best of you. And you need to ask, same way I do, what is the best way I can serve my kids with a love that is unconditional that helps them to become great followers of Jesus Christ? And the world sees it and knows they're his disciples by the way we love one another. Now, if you, if you know the Bible, the command to love one another wasn't actually new. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm giving you a new commandment. Did you know that? No, no, Keith, he said a new command I give to you. No, no, what was new was not the command because in Leviticus 19, 18, they're told to love their neighbors, right? It was how they were to love that was new. Think about this for a minute. It was the depth of love that they had never experienced before. It was the type of love they had never seen. There was an ability to love that they were not able to do. And he said, that's what it is. It's not just going, well, you're my neighbor and I've got to love you. So let's shake hands. Not that at all. It's this love that says, I I will stoop down to serve you, even if you don't deserve it or if you're of lower status than me. I will serve you. That's an incredible love. And I don't know about you, but... I I don't think it's possible to love that way in my own strength. I I can't stoop and serve someone I want to promote myself over. (gasps) You want to promote yourself over? God, come on, I'm human. There are times where I want to be up there. There are times when I want to, yeah, look what Keith's done and all this and everything. All that comes to dust one day. It's hard to serve somebody that you feel is not quite as high as you, particularly kids, unless, unless... I'm filled with a love and a power that's beyond my own. This is more than natural familial love. This is a supernatural love that can only take place because deep in our hearts we have experienced God's love who is so much higher than us. He stooped and became a man so that we could become the children of God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 5, he tells us this, hope doesn't disappoint us. Because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. God didn't just give it in little bits. He poured out His love. If we have experienced it, surely we can give it. The Father's love. Because covenant comes from a heart of love. It doesn't come from, well, we're in the same church, so we better like each other. No, we need to learn how to love each other in a humble way and serve each other because a new covenant leads to a new commandment that's lived out in a new community. The Father's house. Paul says all of you together are part of this house. All of you together are his body. You belong to it. And there is this new community called the church. And this church has a bond you're not going to find anywhere else. Look, we have our flaws. None of us are perfect. Go looking for the perfect church. It ain't here. But I tell you what, go looking for a people who are in love with God and who God loves and who God uses in in an amazing covenant way. We're here, right? This new community called the church, there's nothing on the planet like it. We don't belong to an organization. We belong to a family, a covenant family. So Paul says in Romans 12, 4, just as each one of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, 
So when so in Christ, we who are many form one body, watch this next phrase, and each member belongs to all the others. I believe the local church, the family of God, the house of God should be the greatest place where we learn how to be good fathers. I mean, it's good to get it at home, and so we should, but I believe in this house, we can learn to be fathers who love sacrificially, humbly, unconditionally, and even stoop to serve those at times who offend us. That's a tough one. Because covenant is about relationship and belonging. It's not a contract. It's a relationship and belonging. And that relationship means commitment. Not like the world who says, I'll love you as long as you meet my needs and make me happy. No, I will love you. Just period. I'll love you. Period. There's nothing else to follow. You know, they go, and or but. No, there is no but. There is no and. I will love you. Because in relationship, what's missing today is loyalty. You see, here's the deal. If you could put this next quote up. Our allegiance to each other is not based on what we get out of the relationship, but who we are in the relationship. Who are we? We are his body. We are his family. We are members of his household. We do belong to each other. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We are heirs together of the kingdom of God. And so I don't give that allegiance and that loyalty based on what I get out of it from you, but who I am for you. Did you get that? Who I am for you and with you. Because loyalty is lived out in devotion and honor. Paul said in Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And I'm saying, church, it's time. It's time to rise up and be different in respect to how we relate to one another. And it's time for the church to stop consuming and start caring. Above all, love each other, Peter said. It's time for us to be devoted to one another. And by this, they will all know we belong to the Father's house. Not because it's something new, but because the quality is so rich that they can't believe it. We had a situation this last week, got a phone call while I was in Sydney um, on Monday from our Northwest campus few of our families from Uganda uh, had to move to Sydney uh, to finish their doctoral program. We get a phone call um, saying that one of the women, if the team could come up, that'd be great. One of the women, she used to work volunteer. She was doing her PhD. She's early to mid-30s, doing her PhD um, at the same time volunteering in our center as a receptionist. I don't know how in the world she fit everything in. Her husband worked in one of our five Ush centers, and we get a phone call. They had been praying for 10 years to have a child. She was seven months pregnant. On Sunday night, late Sunday night, she wakes Enoch up, says, I can't breathe. He puts her in the car to rush her to hospital. Partway to the hospital, she's not breathing hardly at all. He stops, phones the ambulance, and sad to say, um, she lost her life on the side of the road. Seven-month-old baby inside has now been without oxygen for 20 minutes. They rush her to the hospital, take the baby out. She's gone. Funny thing, in their language in Uganda, they named the baby, knowing it was going to be a boy even before he was born, uh, the one who, who comforts me. 
This little boy is now laying in the hospital on a respirator, not knowing if he's going to survive and everything. And Enoch is just devastated. Trusting in God, though, uh, the pastor at C3 Parramatta, because they locked into C3 Parramatta, he rang me, what's today? He rang me Friday, said, Keith, I thought I'd let you know, give you an update, what's happening, da, da, da. And he said, the doctors, the coroner, the hospital staff and the social worker assigned to their case is saying, who are you people? We have never seen anything like this. The care and the love that you have shown this family through this tragedy is just, un- you can't define it. You can't prescribe it. You can't even find it in most places. This is covenant love. Our campuses are on the phone back and forth to Enoch and the other families from Uganda who are around him and the church family at C3 Parramatta. And the the world is now looking at that going, you are something else. They know that we are his disciples because of this kind of love that we have for one another. I'm saying to you, dads, you might not have had the greatest role model for being a father. You don't have to be crippled by that. Even the girls here, you don't have to be crippled by that. I got the most incredible message this morning from my daughter, who is 37, isn't she? Almost 38. Uh, Just most incredible message from her. I, I don't have to be crippled as a dad because I was crippled by my dad, so to speak. You can get healed, you can get whole, you can be restored, and you can become a father. It's who we are in the family that defines us and giving that covenant love. And you can get it first and foremost from the Father in heaven. I can stand here and honestly say to you, I I don't think I could have ever experienced love in its truest sense in this kind of form had I never met God. And he became my father. And I I became his son through Jesus Christ. I could have never experienced that. Try as I may, I would have just gone from failure to failure to failure, from hurt to hurt, because hurting people hurt people. And yet experiencing the love of God, you don't have to stay here today and be crippled or hurt. You can be healed and whole and you can become one of these fathers that begins to give longing and belonging and security to people in the house of God. People who are looking for it so that the world looks at you and goes, who are you people? We have not seen this before. I find that amazing that they would say that. Surely other Christians have done the same. Well, whether they have or haven't, it's not the case. The case is that these people did and the world saw it. In the middle of even what we, the world would say, this is the worst tragedy that could happen to you, Enoch. They see the light. They see a love. And you can have that today. You can come into this family and belong to the Father's house through what Pastor Chris said today, through the cross. Where God loved you so much, he sent his one and only son. That if you would believe in him, you don't perish. You don't stay broken. You don't stay hurt. You don't stay locked up. But you are healed, restored, freed and forgiven because of the cross. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.